Welcome to the Real Life Investing Podcast with Jason and Rachel Wagner. We are husband and wife and dedicated to bring you conversations that revolve around real estate, entrepreneurship, personal development, relationships, politics, and just regular conversations that come across the dinner table. We will share with you actual stories of relatable people with hopes to inspire you to invest in becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Welcome to the second episode of Jason and Rachel by the fire. <laughs> That's kind of a good title. Yeah, I like that. We are by the fire. <laughs> I also like that it's like 90 degrees out and don't need the fire, but yeah. the fireplace is here. And it's 10 in the morning. <laughs> um, anyways, so thought we were going to build on the whole um, story of last of the last episode where basically we were kind of talking about how we started an entrepreneurship and we did the whole house hack thing. Um and how that actually elevated us to a level of getting my business off the ground and um, kind of making it more sustainable for me. Because actually, just this last week, we just announced that Rachel is now working for Greystone Realty uh, part-time. And that's a big thing because she was W W2 stable corporate job um, for all of her after-college life. And so this is a really big moment for us. And... Uh, why don't well, you go and specifically, ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, was W2 stable job for you? So after we got married, um, you know, we made the decision that it was okay for you to quit your job and take a risk in chasing your dreams and starting a business, um, knowing that that meant you weren't going to have an income. And so we were going to be fully dependent on, on mine, um, had you on my benefits and uh, whatnot. So it served the purpose for us really since we got married um, to get your business going. Yeah. So, uh, actually the best thing, <laughs> best thing I could have ever done before jumping into entrepreneurship was actually get married. <laughs> yeah. I think we highlighted that in the first episode too. Jason loves to tell people that. <laughs> well, because I mean, just think about it. I mean, you had a great, you had a great job at that moment in our life and we'll be making like 70,000 or something like that. At the time you quit, I was at 82. I was 82,000. Super cheap health insurance because it was a a public like government job. So Mm -hmm. government jobs are super good on health insurance. Um, So I had the pension. I had a good 401k savings type plan and a stable salary. It was a job I knew, you know, unless I really, really, really screwed up. I wasn't going to get fired or anything, you know, hard to fire people in, in government. That's another topic. But um, you know, it was very stable. We knew that if you weren't going to have an income and we could figure out a way to live off what I was making, um, you know, we could do that for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I, when I left my job, I was only making like 60,000 and, uh, I was like, oh boy, you know, Rachel's always going to be the breadwinner in the relationship. <laughs> and you tr- <laughs> And I truly leaned on you. Uh, during those first few startup years. Um, and I was okay with that. You know, it was, uh, we understood that we had the stability and and again, you had a great, that was a great salary. That's a, that's a phenomenal salary. We were living in downtown Chicago at the time. You know, we were living in a one bedroom apartment and I think we were paying like 23 or $2,400 a month in rent. And, you know, some of the things that we had to do to kind of prepare ourselves for like, Hey, we're going from two incomes to one, was we had to look at our expenses and we had to be really honest with ourselves with, you know, how much money we were spending, you know, the types of activities we were doing 
And what were some things that we needed to do right away in order to be successful in this and not just get completely overwhelmed with our living expenses and our lifestyle? So um, we looked at we looked at the budget and I've always been a spreadsheet person. I was able to, you know, really figure out, okay, if we only have one salary, where is all of our spending been historically and how do we need to change it? And the biggest thing that we looked at was, hey, we got to move apartments. (laughs) We can't afford twenty four hundred dollars. Definitely living above our means, even really with two salaries, you know, we're just young and having fun. But once we cut down to one, it was like, okay, yeah, we, we really can't afford to be living right downtown in the, the hype of it all. Yeah. So we actually made a couple moves because um, we were living in a high rise apartment and then we noticed that there was another unit that was available. I think we were able to save like at least 200, maybe $300 um, by just switching units within the same building, which was great. Um, so that was like the first year we did that for a year. And then we're like, shit, this still isn't enough. Um, the second year we ended up moving neighborhoods and we got out of the loop. We went up to Ravenswood and we found a, you know, a two bedroom apartment, um, for like 1500. Um, so we really went, you know, we cut our, from the 2400 we were paying to start with, we, you know, we shaved off $900, um, in our monthly expense, which was huge. We ended up, let's see, we sell the car. Yeah, we sold the car. Sold the car. Actually, before we got married. Okay. Right before we got married, we got rid of my car. Yeah, mm-hmm. we sold your car. Yep. And the and the car that I was driving was a truck, which we paid cash for, so we didn't have a we didn't have a payment on. Oh, you're right. We sold your car after we got married. So yeah. We sold my oh, car before right. we got married, and then yep. you had your car. We decided to to sell that. Um, because you needed a work truck. You were totally switching truck. careers. So it was like, okay, I can't have this brand new hot rod anymore. Time to <laughs> get a work truck. Yeah. So here's the thing, guys, <laughs> is that we were we were living a great you know lifestyle. Um, I was driving a brand new Chevy Camaro and like we were living downtown. We were going out and we were just like eating out, you know, being super bougie and just realized like we could really get ourselves caught in this mess if we just continue that stuff. And so we, we sold it all, right. We sold off the, the Camaro. We (laughs) we got a work truck that I bought for like, you know, $5,000. And, you know, that was intended so that we didn't have a monthly payment. And so, you know, a huge focus for us was just figuring out that monthly budget. What were some other things we did? The whole dining out stuff, right? So we cut that out. Yeah, we took a look at like our, our, our food spending and it was like, okay, we, we really can't go out, you know, whenever we want anymore. We need to factor in a budget of, I don't remember exactly what it was, but a couple times, maybe a month, so we could still socialize with our friends, but really lean on cooking at home, bringing your lunch to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, you know, I pretty much always brought my lunch to work. Um, and we cut down on, on going to the bars. And when we would go out to dinner and stuff, we would would share things. You know, we wouldn't get the appetizers and the drinks and the desserts. We would go, but we'd, we'd split a meal and, and cut out the extras. Um I think we cut the some gym memberships and utilized like the um, in-unit. Oh yeah, the in-unit gyms. gyms. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just really the the extras, the luxuries, where it was just like, okay, you know, like we're we're gonna take this risk, and in order to make it work, we got to make some sacrifice to hopefully, you know, benefit in the long term and long run. Um, and the hard part, I think, for us during this time was like, you know, the majority of our friends 
were living that same kind of lifestyle as us too, where you didn't quite have a house yet. You didn't have kids yet. Everybody's getting married. So there's bachelor, bachelorette party trips. There's there's bridal showers, there's weddings. And, you know, there, there's a lot of going out. There's a lot of spending happening. And, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't not do any of those things, of course, but we had to be a lot more mindful during them on, on how we spent and, and avoid splurging again, just keeping in mind the long-term, long-term gain. So, yeah. 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 So exactly. I mean, th- those are the things that you have to do, especially when you're startup. I mean, it's, it's just being super lean and being very cognizant of, of where your spending's going. And, you know, the best way to do that is to get spreadsheets or to get some type of automated software that, you know, that tracks that stuff for you. Um, we also leaned a lot on um, zero interest credit cards. And what I will say about that is, you know, where people can get caught is by saving the the balance to, to the end and then starting to accumulate interest on it. So you being a spreadsheet person, you know, you would look at, okay, we're going to put this balance or this big purchase onto the zero interest credit card. But that means that we've got to make these monthly payments to ensure paying zero interest. So we looked at it as free money, but we had to make sure that it, it remained free money. <laughs> we didn't get it caught in the end on, on interest, but that was a yeah. way for us to spread out the, we used, the cost of trips. <laughs> and we used zero interest credit cards to our absolute <laughs> advantage. Like I'm talking savvy stuff <laughs> um, because before I quit my job, especially if you're thinking about this, before I quit my job, this was when we were actually applying for all of these cards. <laughs> we ended, guys, we ended up getting over $100,000 worth of zero interest credit card um, that was available to us to draw on. And not only did we utilize that for some big, I don't know, let's just say bachelor party expenses, yeah. right? Yeah. Bachelorette party expenses. Big events. Big events. We would throw that on there. And again, it's just understanding if you've got zero interest for 12 to 18 months, put it in a spreadsheet. You know when you're drawing on that. You know when you have to pay it off by. And so as you make these monthly payments, you're just dividing by how many months you have remaining left so that you're always going to pay that off at the end of expiration because how you get screwed is when the 25% interest kicks in and you still have a $10,000 balance on it that you just were making the minimum monthly payments on. So, and we, we never did an interest payment on any of those cards. We remained um, disciplined in making sure we, we we made those payments. And um, you know, that was for things that, you know, I wouldn't call them must. They were still luxuries, but things that we weren't going to say no to like, a bachelor bachelorette party trip or bridal shower gifts. And I think even sometimes at Christmas where we just needed to spread that cost over a little bit of time, um, you know, we, we've got big families that just needed to um, spread the cost over, you know, more than just one month. You know, you mm-hmm. put it on a regular credit card at Christmas, well, come January, you better pay it off or you're going to accumulate all that interest. So anyways, that was just another tool that we used to our advantage. And the one thing about that too was Jason mentioned, you know, we applied for them, uh, early, right before he quit his job, so he had accumulated all this available credit. Our credit scores really went sky high. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's a personal finance, uh, you know, hack for you: is that actually the more credit cards that you apply for, you know, if you don't use the balance, it's fine. But if you have them open, um, that just increases your total revolver, is what they call it. Um, that's basically your your available credit for you, and so. You know, based on the balance that you actually have on those cards, 
they look at what's your total revolver. And that's how if you've got, if you're only utilizing like, you know, five to 10% of your total credit that's available to you, you're going to have a pretty good credit score because you've got so much more that you can draw on, right? So, so that's a great way as a, as a tip to kind of increase your credit score. Um, but I'll even mention like, here's where the savviness kind of came into when I was flipping a house. Okay. I put all of our material spend on these zero interest credit cards. And because here's what I, on the first house that I flipped, I knew like the whole plan was to be in and out in six months. Well, these credit cards, I mean, they give you 12 to 18 months of 0% interest. So as I'm just looking at it as like, wow, you know, that's a pretty surefire bet that if I'm expecting to be out of this thing within six months, you know, I should be able to pay off all these credit cards. Um, And that's exactly what I ended up doing on that first house flip was putting it all on 0% interest and did all the work, bought all the materials, um, didn't have to front that cash. I mean, you think about how much cash that is. That was like $30,000 of material costs that I ended up putting on those cards. And then it at that point, though, I mean, I will mention the reason that you need all this stuff available to you ahead of time is because if your credit score is bad and you go to apply for it, you're not going to get it. And so you need to have a good credit score going in because as soon as you start eating up your revolver and your credit limit and you almost start to max that stuff out, your credit score is going to take a massive hit. And so it's just understanding like, well, I know that my credit score is going to take a pretty big hit right now. But when I go to sell this house, I'm going to be able to pay off everything right away. And that's exactly what happened. Our credit scores were – they started in like you know the upper 700s and then I put all the material costs on there. We had some of our spending you know, from the bachelorette, bachelor stuff on there. And then we probably got our credit scores crushed to under 600. And then as soon as we sold the house, we paid it all off. And then it jumped back up to eight to over 800. So it's kind of understanding how credit works. Um, and that was a really cool savvy, you know, utilization that we needed to just kind of like, you know, get off the ground running. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing that really, really helped us was that, uh, you know, I I was thinking that my whole business was going to be, I was going to flip houses right away or I was going to be this big house flipper. And that was the whole, that was the whole trajectory. Um, the thing was, is that once I got into the second house flip, it was just like, there was too much pain. There was too much, um, you know, regulation that, uh, I was not aware of. And I, ultimately I ended up getting my real estate broker's license and I started, helping my friends buy and sell condos. Um, And that's where the true uh, growth of the business came from was actually, I never wanted to be a real estate agent, but it was because I had this construction experience, people came to me and they said, Hey, Jason, you bought a couple houses before. Can you help us buy a condo? And, and I'm so, so, so grateful to um, those friends of mine that trusted me just initially to be that agent for them because without them, I would not have been able to, to grow into a, having my own real estate brokerage. But the whole thing of what made this successful was that, you know, we had, I utilized the commission income that I earned from those sales. And because we were living off Rachel's salary, that her salary was covering all of our living expenses. Basically anything I made was considered a bonus. And so from those commissions, then I ended up putting that stuff into investment properties. And we started um, to buy investment properties. And that's where we did our first house hack. That's how, um, you know, we were able to get our first 
rental units. And through this, at this point now in our in our day-to-day life is that we've got rental properties. We have eight units that pay for 100% of our mortgage mm-hmm. of the house that we live in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so kind of looking at that at a high level, it was like, okay, um, best thing we can do right now is accumulate cash. So then we can take our cash and put it into income generating assets or properties. So, you know, the focus really for those first few years once Jason got his license was, and really even initially, the the thought of flipping houses was to generate cash. It just, it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to. So then it was generate cash through sales, take that cash, invest it into income generating assets like rental properties. Um, So we gain enough passive income to then cover our month to month. So then that stable job you know, that was covering all those expenses before slowly starts to be less and less important and needed. Exactly. Yeah. And so when you have this monthly recurring, you know, income that you can count on, right? Real estate is very predictable. Um, And if you can count on that stuff because you've done the math right and maybe you've improved the property, maybe you've increased the rents and you've locked in long-term leases for the next 12 months, you can count on that income coming in and to really help support your living expenses. And that's exactly what we did. And it's, it's the secret. This is the secret formula. It's have a job or some type of business activity that allows you to have scalable income. And so when I mean scalable income, there's no cap on it, meaning it's all of your effort that goes into it and you earn as much as you possibly can. And you take all that money and you take a portion of it or whatever you need and you put that into purchasing uh, income producing assets, whether it be real estate, whether it be, uh, you know, I guess it could be just like bonds, um, you know, other investment vehicles that will pay you, you know, a stock that pays a dividend. Right. Um, those types of things. I mean, in my opinion, I think real estate is the best source for that. Uh, when you look at majority of millionaires, billionaires, whatever. Everything leads to real estate. And that's what drew me to that as being the asset class for us and what we were going to be buying. We had a ton of control on it. There wasn't market manipulation. There wasn't um, things out of your control. Basically, you could, if you bought that property, it was everything up to you to make it what you want it to be and to produce the type of money that that was going to work for you. So um, that's why we really, really liked real estate and, 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 you know, made the investment towards it. What else? Well, I was just thinking as you were talking, um, you know, because we had and still have multiple streams of revenue coming in, you know, we've, we've put our money in different places, diversified enough so that there's multiple income streams coming in. It's allowed you in your sales business to put such an emphasis on your client and be super client focused and not as, um, commission focused, you know, there's, there's a lot of agents out there not even just in real estate, but in other areas of business too, where they're, they're, they're so focused on that commission check because that's their only income and they, they have to be. So they got to keep hitting that, that level each month. But for you, we've got, like you said, our expenses covered through our rental properties. And so everything that comes in through commission is, is towards other things, allows us to invest in other things or, or do fun things with our family or cover, cover other, other expenses, obviously. Um, but that's allowed you to be so client focused. And you've said before, you know, your, 
you're not trying to just get your clients to close on something. You're trying to get your clients to close on the right property for them. Um, and really, you know, get them in a good situation and help them. Um, and there's been a number of clients that have come to you with an initial plan of buying one thing. And after working with you and really kind of diving into what they're seeking, they've changed their mind and now they want a multifamily or now they want a single family home or their area has changed because you've really helped them identify what it is they want as opposed to, you know, what, what they thought or, or whatnot. So that's really, I think, ease the, the sales pressure on you. And I think it's a little, a bit of a misconception that we've heard from, from some of our friends, just assuming, well, you know, Jason is really, um, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Um, grinding, you know, he's, he's grinding cause he has to, you guys, you guys just bought this huge house. It's really expensive. You know, he's really got to grind for the sales. Well, no, that's not accurate at all. Our house is paid for by these other, these income things. You know, he's, he's grinding cause he cares about his clients, you know, and he, he, he wants to, um, you know, get them in a, in a good property. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's exactly true. I mean, when we bought our house, I mean, this is the dream, guys. It's like, you know, you get investment properties and the whole idea is is that you've got a lifetime to do this, right? It doesn't matter. Like the earlier you start, the better it's going to be. And that's why I, you know, I kind of push multifamily real estate and just like continuing to grow the portfolio and add more units. Um, But it really doesn't take a ton of properties to really start to make an impact into your life. And we own three. We own three properties that are producing income for us. And that is eight units. Okay. Guys, that's enough money to cover. Let's see. So that's uh, $3,800 at least in monthly income that we get from our eight units. And that covers our entire mortgage. I mean, that's what the mortgage payment is. And so to have income producing properties to cover a big chunk chunk of your living expenses is massive. And that's exactly what we were thinking about when I went to go qualify for this home purchase was how much money are we going to have from our income producing properties? And that's the type of payment that we can afford. And so again, it's the whole thing of basically replacing Rachel's salary with income producing assets and anything that, technically I make on a commission basis or a sales basis is a bonus, right? Because we've got properties that are paying for that big chunk. Now we still have, we don't have enough yet to pay for, you know, our dining out expenses, um, you know, our activities, uh, just groceries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's still a goal to continue to grow that side of it, but imagine, you know, we've only been doing this for, what, I guess we've owned these properties for like three years, mm-hmm. maybe going on four. And imagine what another four more years will do if we continue to add, you know, our, our goal has always been if we can continue to add one more income producing property each year, you know, what does that do for us in the next four to five years? It'll probably, it'll probably be pretty awesome. So it's kind of taking that whole concept of how can we buy income producing assets to pay for majority of our living expenses? And then what does that do for you? How does that get you ahead? How does that get you a little bit more comfortable? And especially as we go into an economic downturn, like, you know, and that looming fear. Well, I know that my sales business probably is going to take a hit because that's just naturally what's going to happen. But I'm really focused in on, you know, 
we've done all this work leading up to this moment. We've rode the wave of momentum that we had in the marketplace, and which is great. And we've set ourselves up for weathering the storm. And now, you know, it's it's honing in on customer service. What's going to be the biggest thing that you as an agent can really do right now to stick out and it's to be a subject matter expert. It's to be somebody that's giving consulting advice. It's not someone that's just opening the door for somebody like it's actually providing customer value. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And that's how the business can grow. And that's how any business can grow is if you focus on the customer, you do what's right for the customer. You don't take this selfish approach of, I just need this sale to close and you can do really well. And then take that money and reinvest it into income producing assets. It's a winning formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just one point I was going to make, I was talking about how, you know, we, it was really important to generate a lot of cash so we could put that into um, an income producing asset. The, the thing is, is that when we purchased, um, I think all, th- all three of our, um, properties, they were initially FHA. So we only had three and a half percent down. Is that right? Uh, not quite. No, we did an FHA for one. We did an FHA for one. And then, uh, the partnership agreement that we had that had to be conventional, but because we had an owner occupant within that, it was still a lower down payment. So it wasn't, you didn't have to fork out, like there's ways to get these properties with lower down payments. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. And, yeah. and you do a webinar that was really great on talking about the house hacking and how that works. But the point I was trying to make is it, it it's not that we were generating or, you know, taking hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cash and then buying these income generating properties. There were other ways we could do it with less cash that then we were able to acquire them. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's just it's just connecting with the right person that knows these strategies and that knows, hey, I understand real estate can really do a lot for me. How can I get into it as early as possible? I mean, a lot of people think that you need a ton of money for real estate um, and to start investing in real estate. It's just, it's truly not the case. It's just that you're not informed enough to understand that there are strategies out there, which is particularly the FHA financing, which basically says that you're going to own or occupy the property and you're going to, that's going to allow you to get a three and a half percent down payment. And a lot of people will look at that and be like, FHA, 3.5% down, I got more money than that. But but why would you put more money into it? You don't need to. You can take advantage of these low down payments. Don't think of it as like a bad thing that you're not putting enough money into the property. This is an awesome thing to get you into it. And it starts your investment career at a very low entry point. And that's what I think is so, so important that many people just overlook completely. They think they need 20% down to buy an investment property or 25%. And that's, and that's totally true if you're a regular investor and you're not going to own or occupy. But the moment that you're going to say, hey, I'm going to commit to a goal. The goal is to be in real estate and to start a, a real estate portfolio. And I'm going to commit one year of my life to living in that property because I know that as soon as I move out of that property a year later, that that property is going to set me up for success moving forward for the rest of my life or forever. How long have you you hold that thing for? That's that's what we're talking about is short term sacrifice in which this ties into very well where we were talking about where we had to reduce our expenses from you know, a rent of 2,400, we dropped it down to 1,500. It was a short-term sacrifice for long-term gain. And that's exactly what you should think about 
in terms of buying your first investment property is, hey, I'm going to live there for a year. It's a short-term sacrifice, but I know it's financially beneficial and it's going to be a huge, it's going to make a huge impact to getting the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> so what, Rachel? Um, just trying to think of a question here. I don't have anything. You got a question for me? Uh, yeah. I mean, did you have any struggles um, with having your wife be the breadwinner? That's a great, honestly, such a great question. Yes, <laughs> totally. Totally. Because you feel like nothing when, <laughs> I mean, you're you basically, I mean, your manhood, you're like, you know, you're kind of like, there's this old uh, perception of like the man has to be the breadwinner, right? And that's just from, it's decades old. And that's just kind of how America was before you had two family members working, um, you know, in the workforce. And so I don't know, I just, I, I mentally, I did feel pretty down. And it's because like, as an entrepreneur, like you don't, you don't have that success yet. You don't have that confidence. It takes years and you're going to have ups and downs and it's going to be pretty brutal at times. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally got in my own head about, oh boy, you know, Rachel's Rachel just got promoted or Rachel's doing really well. And here I am just kind of like the guy that's, you know, hopefully hanging on for dear life. Um, but I mean, those are all mental, mental challenges that any entrepreneur is going to go through. And I think just recognizing that you've got these ups and downs. And if you've got an amazing support system, which was my wife, my family at the time, you know, lean on that and just embrace the opportunity. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about having somebody in your relationship quit the job, like I would really encourage you to look at your monthly expenses and as much as you can figure out a way to completely live off of that income because that just alleviates the startup pressure for the person being the entrepreneur. So don't go into starting a business thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to generate this much per month. And by year two, I'm going to be doing this because the reality is most startup businesses lose money their first year, break even their second year. And it isn't till their third year that they really start making money. And that timeline was, was pretty close um, to being accurate for us. Um, you know, granted Jason's first flip was a dream. I I mean, it really couldn't have gone any better, but then that second one was not and really took a turn. So, you know, had there been this expectation on him to, you know, make money because we had to cover certain bills and expenses, it it really would have, um, changed our relationship, I think, and, and how we were approaching your business. I'm not sure that, you know, we we would still be doing it, right? Because you needed more time, um, to figure out your, your strategy and, and how to make it work. So I guess I would just say, go into this with the expectation that you're one business is going to lose money. You're two, you'll be lucky if you break even, and it isn't going to be until you're three and four where, there, there's actually money coming in. That's really, really good advice because it sets the expectation. So. Right. And the expectations are the same across the board, right? So like um, the person holding the W-2 can't be like, hey, it's it's month two. I thought this was supposed to be working. <laughs> like, you know, how, how come you're not making money? It's, it's six months in. Why aren't you making money? You got to make money because 
you know, yeah, we I mean, it. I mean, let's ask that question to you because did you, <laughs> did you have that ever thought of like, geez, I'm married to a deadbeat, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, full of these big dreams and aspirations, but he can't execute. Like talk through that and like what, you know, did you ever have that moment run through your head? <laughs> well, first of all, I've never, ever thought I was married to a deadbeat. You were like the hardest working person I know. Um, and, and that I think was was so important too, is I could see, I knew your passion was there, which is why I agreed to let you quit your job because I knew that you were unhappy. You had found something that really interested you. You had taken the time to study it and to learn it, to create a plan. Um, and I knew with your work ethic and perseverance that you, you were going to execute, right? And it did not go as planned. There were several reroutings of plans. We've kind of touched on with the flipping first, then the real estate. And, and then it was, um, you know, having a portfolio of rentals or whatever. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, we went into this saying, I, I said two years, I said, I want to give you two years to figure this out. And I was fully committed to that two years. And then, um, year two came and we weren't, you weren't quite there yet. And, you know, I think, um, it was okay to keep going. Like I was just like, yeah, like it's okay. Um, but then, you know, I'll share, we, um, we got pregnant with Scarlett and that was when that second flip was really going south. And, um, you know, you also had lost money like in the stock market at a lot of money in the stock market. And there, there was some pretty hard blows for you. And I think you had told me you were really surprised that I wasn't like mad at you, like putting more pressure on you. And it's because I had already managed my expectations when we went into this, that if he went two years without making money, I had agreed to that. That, that was the deal, right? You could quit your job. You could start this business, chase your dreams. And at the end of two years, if you still hadn't made money, well, then that's okay. Well, now I want to start a family and we're going to change course, right? So like, I knew that those two years could have amounted to just nothing, you know, and I was okay with that. And I think anybody who's going to go into something like this, you have to be okay with that because so many businesses fail. So many fail, you know? Um, and then I think beyond that, right? Like I think, um, I, I did start reaching a point where I was like, I really don't want to be at my job anymore. And I, we, we talked about me quitting my job probably for a year and a half before, before we actually did it. It just was never like a, um, yes, we can do it now. It was, I, I think we can do it. Why don't we just do it? We'll figure it out. Like we had enough faith in each other that if I did that, it, it was going to be okay. We were going to make it work, but I was wanting to be a little more conservative for myself and making sure like, it, it was totally okay. And so we waited, but I would say like that last year, um, it was harder. It was a little harder on me cause I was still waiting and just unhappy in a job. But I think the most important thing that we did was we kept talking about it and you always gave me that option of, you know, if you, if you need to leave, leave, it's okay. You can quit. And it was just knowing that I had that reciprocated support too. Um, that was like, okay, well, I'm going to stay in as long as I know I have that out and we're okay with it. I'm not trapped. You know, I, I never, I never felt trapped. So, um, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it leads, it actually leads me to think of so many more things because, um, a huge motivator for me was 
just recognizing the sacrifice that Rachel was really putting on herself of, hey, I'm committed to my job uh, for the next two, maybe three years, four years, however long it takes uh, to get this thing going. And I thought that that was just the biggest gift um, that I could have received. And so I made it a huge um, emotional priority for me to give her this opportunity to um, almost return the favor. And as I kept looking at things of like, oh, shit, it's not it's not going well. It's not going well. You know, I'm going to have to go back to the corporate world. You know, we got pregnant with Scarlett and I'm going to have like this is the end. I just kept remembering, you know, that whole that whole why and figuring out that, hey, keep going, man, because this is tough. But you're doing it all for a reason. And that reason was to return the favor. And, you know, I can finally say now that that we've done that. And that was a big thing for me. And so finding, I think finding that big um, emotional driver that can really give you a lot of pride is something to keep in the forefront because that's how you're going to stay motivated, especially during downtimes, um, especially when things aren't going your way. But just remembering, why are you doing all this? And it's for me, it was to return the favor for Rachel um, because I thought that the, the sacrifice that she did was the ultimate um, gift to me. And I wanted her to to have that that freedom on the other side of this. So. I get super emotional about that stuff and I, and I often like choke up and I'm actually surprised I didn't choke up way more uh, just saying that now. But um, but no, I mean, that's that's a big thing is finding finding your why and figuring that whole thing out. Um, it's good to talk about that publicly, you know, with your spouse and with your partners and, you know, and show that vulnerability because that gets that gets you really motivated and keeps um, it keeps the the end goal insight. Yeah. And I think what you just said about, you know, sharing that why and making that known is really important because we had talked about at the very beginning before Jason quit his job, when we were like sharing our plan with family, it was, you know, I'm going to go and and create this real estate business. So then Rachel can go and start a dance studio because that was, that was my dream for a long time. Right. And then we didn't really talk about it again for a couple of years. And I remember, um, a night when we were living at Sunnyside and I, I was reaching this point of feeling, um, really frustrated in my job and, um, you know, a little frustrated with Jason's schedule and and how hard he was working and and whatnot. And just trying to like, you know, there there were low points. So I guess I'm going to share a low point, right? Like I I was in a low point of just like, you know, when is this going to end? When is it going to get better? Like, this is, this is really tough. And I was just feeling frustrated and feeling like I had disconnected from, from the why. And I, I didn't feel like I knew what Jason's why was. And then, you know, you, you turned to me and got emotional um, and just shared that reason, right? Is that you tell people, you were telling all these other people that you were meeting in real estate and networking that your why was me and it was to return the favor because I had done this sacrifice. And it's so interesting to me because he really, Jason, you really didn't tell me that for a lot of those years, you were telling all these other people, but it was like, we weren't 
sharing that together anymore. And that was um, humbling, I think, for me at that moment of like just reconnecting with you on like, you know, we're in this together and we're doing it together and for each other. Um, and so I think just staying in communication with each other throughout the process is so important because there are going to be moments that are really hard. Um, and I think when it got hard for me was when, um, when Scarlett was born, because you, you have, you know, kind of an idea of what, what it's going to be like when you, when you start a family. And the reality is when you're an entrepreneur, that like traditional image of, you know, day-to-day life and family, it's just different, right? Because it's not, it's not an eight to five. Um, you've got way more flexibility, um, eventually when you get to that point, but not necessarily in the beginning. And so I was struggling with understanding, um, you know, what balance in our life looked like and, and whatnot. So I guess I'm trying to make a couple points, but, um, the big one I think is, um, you know, the, if you, if you're looking at doing this and you have a family or you have kids or you're looking to do that, um, it will add another layer of complexity and consideration. Um, and it'll it'll just be a little harder, I think with kids. And so it's so important. We had those foundational years early, I think before, before we started our family. Yeah. 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 And every, everybody's situation is going to be different, you know, and I've always looked at this as like, it's never too late. It's never too late to, um, to start something to go after or something that you've always been wanting or been dreaming of, there are ways to make it work. You just got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, 100%. You know, and that's, that's the biggest takeaway is that, you know, yes, you can do it. Um, but recognize that there's sacrifice. There is a ton of planning and at the end of the day, you can only plan so much, but then once you come up with an execution plan, like do it right and follow through and hold yourself accountable and just remember why, you know, why are you going after this stuff? And, uh, and course correct as needed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I feel like we should wrap it up because we were supposed to wrap it up like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, <a> good question. <laughs> all right. Thanks all. We'll catch you later on the next one. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Real Life Investing Podcast. We hope that you walk away from this episode with something of value, whether you learn something new, felt inspired, or it helped spur a new idea. We are all in this game of life together, and sometimes all it takes is hearing the stories and strategies of others that are out there doing it to help inspire you to take action towards becoming the best version of yourself. Thanks for listening. Please share the show, and we'll catch you on the next episode.